Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 70. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray. And I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. Hi, Allison. Hi, Ryan. Wow, that was loud. (laughs) Sorry, folks, if that uh, blew your eardrums. Sorry. (laughs) You're just so excited about today's podcast, aren't you? I am. I'm ha- I'm just happy to be back again. Yeah, I know. Two in a row. <sighs> That's you know what? We we have people that specifically ask for you. So And I'm so flattered and thank you everyone. And I, I wish that I was on every week, but I also don't because I think you benefit from some great interviews and co hosting interviews would be very awkward for me. <laughs> that would be awkward. <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, before we get in today's podcast. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to again remind you that these podcasts are brought to you by freemcatgift.com, where you can go and instantly download a free 30-plus page report on everything that you need to know about the MCAT. No, we don't give you the, the coolest, newest equation to help you on the physics section, but we do give you the information that will save you when it comes time to saving for your whole application. So go to freemcatgift.com and get that free download today. Yeah, great resource. So what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? What are we talking about today, Ryan? We're going to talk about family meetings. And this goes along with last week's podcast about end-of-life care and how are you going to communicate everything that we talked about in last week's podcast during a family meeting and how to best set up family meetings? And I know this was something, Allison, for for you listening, Allison spent a ton of time 
during her residency working on a project all about family meetings and end-of-life care. So she's very passionate about this stuff, and, and that's why we're kind of teaching it to you guys so that you can learn from, from her wisdom. Well, thanks, Ryan. And I think it's just really good timing, too, because the match just recently happened. And congrats again, everyone, on your match. Uh, hope you're all going to places that you were hoping to go to. And we think that providing this ed- education and this um basically information at this time will be very helpful to you, hopefully, because you're about to embark on your medical career as an intern. I guess you've already been in the midst of your medical career, but it's going to be even more real now. Now you're in charge (laughs) as the intern. (laughs) Sort of, right? Sort of. (laughs) You're more in charge than you are as a medical student, but you're still part of a team. (laughs) You are, and we'll we'll bring up teams in a minute. But Allison, you had an interesting story from your internship that you wanted to share with yeah. with the listeners. And hopefully for those of you starting your internship soon or next year or in the next four years, whenever it may be, you can learn something from this story. Yeah, I think this is <laughs> it's a story that I'll always remember and hope gives you some uh, help too. So basically I was an intern and uh, as of course we all were as physicians <laughs> and I had just started, it was day three of my internship. So it was actually late June of gosh, 2009 um, and it was late June because even though technically you think you start July 1, you actually start earlier than that usually because you have some orientation. Anyway, I digress. So I was day three of my internship and I was in the midst of taking care of a number of different patients and I inherited a patient who had just recently come out of the ICU. I was actually accepting her as a transfer out of the ICU because I was an intern working on the medical floor at that point. And this woman was extremely sick. I will never forget her. Um, She was so sick. She had a lot of really, really significant medical problems. And she obviously had been ill enough to just be in the ICU. But even that said, leaving the, the unit and coming to the floor, she was still very sick and probably could have gone right back to the unit. And I was really overwhelmed. I remember even just on accepting that patient, I had never taken care of someone before who was this sick. I certainly had seen very sick patients in medical school, of course. But again, when you become that intern and you're signing your name, comma, MD or DO, and you're, even though, yes, you're you're working under an attending and residence and, and maybe even fellows and others, you're still primarily responsible, it feels like, for that person. And so I was really overwhelmed by everything going on with her. And then day three, again, of my internship, they, uh, the family wanted to have a meeting. And I think the nurse approached me and said, hey, doctor, it was Dr. Cohen at that point because I had not gotten married yet to Ryan, the lovely Ryan, irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray, <laughs> as Z-Dog would say. Um, and so they said, Dr. Cohen, we want to have a family meeting. We, we need to understand what's going on now. We need you to walk us through everything. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, expletive, <laughs> because not only was I already overwhelmed by this, but now I'm supposed to lead a family meeting? So I thankfully had the wisdom, at least in that moment, to recognize that I was not going to be able to do this myself and that I needed help. And that's such an important thing always to remember in in medicine, no matter what point you are uh, in or at in your career, you have resources around you and get help when you need it. So I went to my junior resident at the time and uh, he was 
just wonderful and so supportive and said, yeah, this is crazy. We, we need to talk about this together and, and I'll happily, I'll certainly help you and guide you through this. And I've always been grateful to him. Um, but it just goes to show, right, that I could have gone in as an intern and just had a meeting. And I, I probably would have, it would have been abominable. It would have been awful. I mean, because I just was not prepared, right? I had never had any training about this. Yeah. And, and everything we had talked about last week about that, how all of this communication is, is really for the family members and uh, the loved ones of the patient for, because that's what they're going to remember. If you went in like that, they would have had the worst memories of that hospital stay and and you as a, as a physician and the hospital as a whole. And everything, yeah. It would have been a disaster because, I mean, the first part of it would just have been trying to explain to them what was going on with her and I was already even overwhelmed by that. Never mind, try to help them understand what this means and what where is this going and what is the prognosis and all of these things. And again, as a new physician, day three, you could be faced with a similar situation. And so we're hoping that um, what we're going to talk about in a little bit will be helpful to you. But nonetheless, um, just to round out this story. So my junior resident at the time and I, uh, I think we we certainly spoke with our attending about uh, the patient in the meeting and, and the attending was not able to be there, but that's okay. Um, in this in this case, that was okay. And we went in and we had a meeting with them and I didn't do a lot of talking. The junior resident did a lot more of it and that was okay. That was appropriate. And I was so sort of blown away because at the end of the meeting, they stood up and they gave me a hug. And I remember my junior resident saying to me later, gosh, well, you got a hug out of that. And I was the one who was sort of leading it and <laughs> he was kind of being facetious. He didn't really mean it, but it was just, I think it, my my hope had been to at least um, demonstrate compassion and empathy. And I guess to some degree I had because the family felt um, taken care of and they felt appreciated and understood and heard and listened to and, and um, thank God goodness to my junior resident for helping me with that. But I certainly hope that all of you out there never get put in that situation again. No one was to blame. No one said, Allison, you Mm. must go in and have this family meeting by yourself. But that was the situation that I was put in, right? And so I I hope that none of you is ever put in that position. But if you are, uh, reach out and and hopefully... Don't don't allow yourself to be put in that situation. Yeah, (laughs) really. Even if you think, oh, well, I'm a doctor now, I can handle this. You don't want to do that. <laughs> don't be that person. Yeah. Which goes back to, again, we're going to keep referencing the last podcast. If you haven't listened to the last one, you can get it at medicalschoolhq.net slash 69. All right. So let's start talking about family meetings. What are some of the initial steps that you need to be taking when you know you, hopefully you know you have a family meeting coming up? Absolutely. One of the most important things you can do for yourself is do a little bit of self-preparation, do some homework. We all as physicians uh, are running around taking care of a lot of patients and a patient that you're taking care of, a patient whom you're taking care of may be at the forefront of your mind or not at the forefront of your mind, depending on what time of day it is and what you're working on. So if you're about to step into a family meeting in which you're giving an update or one in which you're really having a uh, a critical conversation about the, the patient's current status and where things are headed, you want to make sure you know which patient you're talking about or you're about to talk about and uh, their name and where they are. And and key thing is to refresh yourself on what's recently just happened with this person. The last thing you want to do is go in and 
act like you're you're about to provide information and try to to have a conversation with the family and then look like you don't even know who the person is. That would be a disaster. <laughs> so always prepare. That that would be pretty bad. And it might even be a HIPAA violation. <laughs> <laughs> right, if you start talking about the wrong patient in the wrong meeting. Oh dear. And that wouldn't be good. So that's definitely important. One of the other important things that I think is key to preparing is getting with everybody else that has been taking care of the patient. And we harp on this all the time, that medicine now is a team sport, that there are so many people that are taking care of each patient. And, and, and that's one of our biggest goals here is, is helping you understand as a pre-med or as a medical student, it's not all about you. If you shut people out now and aren't very helpful in, in helping other pre-meds or other medical students in accomplishing their goals as well as yours, then how good of a team player are you going to be later on in your medical career? So understanding that there are nurses and social workers and other physicians, other specialists that are taking care of this patient, and reaching out to them and getting information from them about what the family is like, who, who which... Which family member is maybe like the point, the one that you should be talking to, the one that maybe is the... Um, uh, the alpha dog? The, the alpha dog. But the, the, <laughs> what's the other term I'm trying to think of? The, the healthcare proxy. Yes, the, the proxy. Which, which one is the one that's actually making decisions? It's important. And, and typically, a, a, a nurses a lot of times know this information. The social workers definitely know this information. So... Reaching out to everybody else that has a hand in that patient's care is very important and makes you look even that much more ready to uh, speak to the family. Definitely. There, something that I always harp on all the time is that the patient's RN has to, must be a part of the meeting. The, the patient's nurse. Yes, RN, as, yeah. a, a.k.a. nurse. <laughs> uh, RN, just, it came out so fast, I didn't know oh. if they heard it. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Yes, the patient's nurse should always, always be a part of the family meeting. Why? Well, if you think about it, they're spending a huge percentage of their day with that patient. They may be taking care of five, six, seven, or maybe one or two patients, depending on what level of care of the person in on a medical floor, a surgical floor, or an ICU, but they spend way more time than you do with the patient and their family. And just like Ryan said, they may know that family so much better than you do and really understand the intricacies and and a lot of the, the sort of finer details that we don't. And I think that's important for a medical student as well, because medical students spend more time than maybe uh, the residents or attending physicians. And so you as the medical student might have a little bit more inside knowledge that you can share with the team. Definitely. And the other really, really important thing about having a, a little huddle before going into any kind of meeting is that you don't ever want to go into a meeting and have it start and then realize during the meeting that people have different opinions who are amongst the medical team. So uh, in other words, people, the, the nurse, the physician, uh, the case manager, the social worker, if you have different viewpoints and you disagree about things, that's not going to go well. Because Again, you're you're trying to provide a unified message to this family. You want to update them. You want to clarify the goals of care. 
you you want this to be we are here to help you. If it looks like well we don't even agree, that that's not going to sit well with the family or the patient. It's it's not going to be comforting. If anything, it's going to be confusing and that's something you want to avoid. So that's a, a whole separate and very important reason to have a little huddle beforehand. Yeah. Good point. So what's another important thing as you're preparing for these family meetings or or in a family meeting? So uh, one one quick thing just to mention is be careful about where you're having the meeting. You don't want to have like a flyby essential critical meeting about a patient in the hallway standing next to a row of coffee cups. <laughs> you want to have tissues available. These are all just things that, that are really important to think about. A lot of hospitals now will have dedicated family meeting rooms set up for this. They will. And as Ryan mentioned with HIPAA, be careful too, because if you're running into the ER and, and there's a waiting room and... You don't necessarily want to have a, a big conversation or even an update with family members that are right smack dab next to other people. It's it's not, you know, you, you need to think about privacy. That's, that's interesting you mentioned that because that's what they do on the TV shows, don't they? The doctor comes out in his scrubs. <laughs> oh, jeez. Just out of surgery with the, the loved one. And he, he goes to the person in the waiting room and says, I'm sorry he didn't make it. And ev- yeah. everybody else is around. Ugh, medical TV is such a joke. You know, I've been telling Ryan that I want to do a podcast episode all about all of the the fallacies and just mistakes. It's dreadful about what they show on medical shows on TV like Grey's Anatomy and House. All right, we have to do that someday. Let us know, audience. Please let us know what you think about that because I would love to. I I had to cut her off because she'll go for 20 minutes on this alone. Anyway, all right, let, we digress. So think, though, about the you setting. You digress. Yes. Think about the setting where you're having this meeting. One of the other things that's really important as, as you're beginning to talk with people in the room after you've introduced uh, everyone and they've introduced themselves to you all is to inquire about what their level of understanding is, or, or not their level of understanding, but what is their understanding of what's going on with the patient. If the patient is part of the meeting, then you can ask the patient directly as well. But the one of the, the pitfalls, if you will, that people make when they go into a family meeting or, or come in to give an update is that they rush ahead and talk about what's going on right now. And they the family either missed out or they don't understand what you're talking about because they have just flown in or they've been around for a couple of days but haven't ever met you. you. You need to make sure that that you're aware of what they know so far so that you don't make them more confused. Um, and, and that's just really important to keep in mind. I think so. Always. I mean, I think right when you're in clinic with someone, Ryan, and you talk to them about, you know, anything, if they come in and they've they've injured themselves, you the first thing you wanna to clarify is is you know, do they know what's going on? Like maybe they went to an <laughs> ER and, and they got a report back on a knee fracture and, and do they know what that means? <laughs> How much have they Googled? <laughs> right. No, seriously though, right? <laughs> because Dr. Google is super dangerous, as we've talked about before. So if they've they've done a lot of reading before coming into a meeting and they think that, you know, and they, they have a certain understanding of what they think is going on and it's completely divergent from what what you know is is going on, you want to have that information on the table to sort out right and there are times where they might they might know more than you (laughs) yeah i mean you never know that's why again you just you want all the cards on the table you want to know what what is uh, uh, the understanding at this time yeah what's another one that we we talk about a lot right so medical jargon so i wouldn't walk in hopefully i've never done it hopefully hopefully i wouldn't walk in and and 
talk to a family member and say, you know what, your loved one just had a, uh, what would I say, I don't know, had a blood clot in their right MCA and is going to lose blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You can talk more about the <laughs> stroke jargon. I don't know why I started thinking about strokes. But what what's a super specific jargon about strokes that you would talk about, like that you would read in a... Oh, like, um, I mean, so saying something like, well, uh, your grandmother has just uh, thrown a clot from uh, her her femoral vein up through a patent foramen ovale up to her right middle cerebral artery and is now um, had a stroke involving, you know, the right uh, frontal lobe and she will now be paraplegic on the left side of her body for the remainder of her. I mean, this is like the family. Her her Wernicke's area is all blown apart. That'd be on the left MCA, but close. Close. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I mean, can you imagine like that? I always think about this. Like, if I went into a room with a lawyer and they just started f- like throwing out legal jargon, I would have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, it's not fair, and you can't do it. So let me translate what Allison just said. She said the patient had a clot in their leg, and unfortunately, that clot went to their heart, and they had a hole in their heart, and it went up to the brain. Which actually can happen, unfortunately. It happens a lot. Uh, it does. So, but but it's all about how you frame things, right? So, you don't want to hear jargon, you know, as as a patient, as a family member, you don't want to be providing jargon. It doesn't help anybody. There's there's actually a big push, and Allison disagrees with this, uh, of getting rid of a lot of the medical jargon that we use in the medical field, of of dumbing down the the communications even between doctors. Well, it's not to say that I think we have some fancy language that we need to No, It's because it's efficient. It's well, it's efficient, but also it's, it's part of when, and you all folks who are in medical school know this, that when you become a medical student, you start learning a language. You're, you're learning the language of medicine. Latin. <laughs> well, yes, a lot of it is based in Latin, but you're learning a new language and it's part of how your, your, your framework for understanding medicine and pathology and, and everything. And so I can't even imagine how it, like, why would it work to be dumbed down? Why would it help us? It's yeah. When, when you and dumbed down is not the right term, obviously. Yeah. But, but, but I think, in lay terms. I, I think it's, it's an extremely helpful thing as, as physicians and healthcare providers to talk amongst one another in a language that we all understand, but it's not helpful to a, a patient or a family member, even if they're a healthcare provider. I mean, you know, even like I've talked in episodes or one episode earlier in 62 about my experiences as a, as a patient with Crohn's disease, just because I have a medical background, when I go into my gastroenterologist's office and they're talking about Crohn's, I'm not savvy on everything GI related. So it's, you know, just because I even am a physician, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be be all knowing about what I'm faced with as a patient, um, you know, of a gastroenterologist. So again, Get rid of the jargon. <laughs> Just don't even enter it in the conversation. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Rai, you just talked about that. So what else is important? So so goals of care, and we talked about this in the last uh, podcast episode. Goals of care is an extremely important concept, and it doesn't necessarily have to enter into every family meeting because some are, again, about little updates, but these crucial meetings where you sit down and and you're thinking about that a patient you're taking care of is really suffering and not doing well, things are not moving in the right direction. And this is a meeting about redefining or maybe addressing is a better word, the goals of care. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, uh, go back to episode 69 and 
and have a listen. But but at this point in the meeting, once you've clarified the family's understanding and and uh, you're you're starting to to talk about you know where things are, you you then at some point want to talk about well, what are the goals of care at this point? And just to highlight for a moment, so with goals of care, you may be confirming the patient's goals of care with the family. You may be clarifying what they would be in new circumstances now that you've provided some additional understanding of, of where this patient is and what's going on with them. So again, goals of care, so crucial. And and listening, listening and answering questions. You need to, at some point, right, have a pause where you listen, you listen to that family and that patient and listen to their reaction. If you just breeze right through and you're sailing along and you're giving all this information, you're talking, 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 you have to pause, right? Because you have to to really get a sense of, well, what do they feel about all this? What do they think about all this? Yeah, there's a there's a saying that I love that says, there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> I bet sometimes to... you think I have two mouths. Because... I think so. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so listen twice as much as you're you're talking. I, I think, especially during family meetings, taking the time to stop, making sure the family is understanding what you're saying, repeat anything if necessary, uh, to help them better understand what's going on. Definitely. All right, and what's what's next, Ryan? This is a big one, I think. So I think the last thing we'll talk about is the fact that a lot of the time we're guiding the family on this journey. We're there to provide information to them and help them typically make a decision that will help with the next step of their loved one's care, whether that be starting uh, more comfort care, like we talked about in the in the last episode, not withdrawing care, but changing our goals of care and or whether that's discussing a new surgery or a new treatment or whatever it may be you're there to guide the patient typically or the the patient's family and sometimes the patient but i think that's that's an important part of the process is it's not not always here's a bunch of information thank you see you later it's here's some information now what do we do about it and there's this huge push and we've talked about it a couple times before medicine isn't paternalistic anymore. It's not, I'm the doctor, here's what we're going to do. It's, I'm the doctor, I'm going to give you as much information as I have available, you're going to use me as a resource, and we're going to make a decision together that's best for the patient. And so you need to help that family come up with the best decision for their family member based on your knowledge, their knowledge, and what's best for the patient. Yeah, and along those lines, the same uh, another important thing to think about is don't offer things that are unreasonable, right? So as their guide and as someone who has a medical background and has knowledge that you're trying to impart on them, don't give them all of the information and then offer unreasonable things which you don't think are appropriate just because we live in this world where autonomy, patient autonomy is so important. Just because patients can uh, and family members can really weigh in and, and make that decision with you, which is good. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. It's very different from that paternalistic situation that existed before. But it doesn't mean that you offer them everything, right? Because certain things would not be appropriate. It's like I kind of say, <laughs> I have this analogy. It's like, you don't 
offer medical treatments like pizza toppings. Do you want your cheese or your mushrooms? You're you're offering things that are either appropriate and, and medically reasonable, and you're not offering things that aren't because that's just going to create potentially futile situations and, and really cause more problem than good. Yeah. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. And I think one thing... I think we'll end the talk there about family meetings. There's a ton more information on family meetings, but that's just a a brief overview on it. Some key points that as you're transitioning into your residencies and internships now, we'll hopefully give you a leg up and and get you somewhat prepared to head into those meetings. But there's one part here that along with the last podcast, number 69, and this one we, we haven't mentioned and that's the importance of from the the minute the patient steps in the hospital, no matter how old they are or how young they are, understanding what their wishes and desires are as far to, as far as DNR DNI. Oh yeah, it's no, it's a huge thing. You're right, Ryan, that we have not addressed really. Um, it's it's such an important thing nowadays, and we all really should have uh, healthcare proxies. We should all have living wills, uh, no matter how old or young you are, because life is unpredictable. And there are quite a few patients that will come into the hospital with a healthcare proxy already or with advanced directives, which mean they are already a patient who has designated themselves as, I do not want to be resuscitated should I go into cardiac arrest, or I do not want to be intubated, meaning have a breathing tube put in if I can't breathe on my own. So it's so important to um, address that and know that from the get-go. And sometimes, and oftentimes in family meetings, in conversations uh, where there is a shift in goals of care, patients may become DNR, DNI. And so that's a really important thing to be aware of and to recognize. There there have been situations in, in every hospital, I mean, where a patient was thought to be full code, uh, meaning that you would do everything uh, in your power to try to prevent their death. Um, you would put in a breathing tube, you would resuscitate them, you would shock them. And that patient actually was DNR, DNI, meaning they didn't want any of that. And that's just such an unfortunate situation that you don't want to ever have happen. So DNR, DNI, and, and that, that is all part of the, you know, the goals of care and, and what are the advanced directives. So, so be aware of those things. Thanks for bringing that up, Brian. Very important. Yeah. All right, folks. So that was all about family meetings. If you're interested in knowing more about this, As always, head over to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash 70, as in episode 70, and leave some comments. Allison is very invested in family meetings and end-of-life care. She's she's still involved in a big project at Mass General, uh, all about this kind of stuff. So if you have any questions, if you want any more information, feel free to reach out uh, through the comment section or through our contact form on the website. Allison, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Ah, so you can find me on Twitter by typing in at Allison underscore medical school HQ. MSHQ, close. Right. <laughs> that, that was a test because Allison's not on Twitter enough. <laughs> I can't believe he's just testing me on the air. <laughs> yeah, so I'm at medical school HQ. Allison is at Allison underscore MSHQ. <laughs> all right, Ryan's clearly made a point that I need to get on Twitter, so I'll be on more. We'll get her on more. That's all right. 
And as I had mentioned at the beginning, go to freemcatgift.com to download that free 30-page, 30-plus page report all about the MCATs and how to how to maximize your studying and your everything with yeah. the MCAT. Go get that free resource. It's awesome. Yeah. And so hopefully, as always, this information has provided some valuable insight into everything that goes on in the life of a doctor. And hopefully you can take it and use it and learn from it. And as always, I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters. So, Allison, we're still recording. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> you you told me I wasn't allowed to talk. Until you weren't allowed you said. to talk. Yeah, no, we're still recording. What are you recording? So, this is a little bonus. What's what's going on in our life? This is like in Ferris Bueller, where he comes back at the end. Are, are you still here? <laughs> I, I've done this with one other podcast. <laughs> what is going on in our lives? We're about to have a big, pretty big life-changing event, as as big as life-changing events can get. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, Allison and I had a baby in the last two weeks or so. This is pretty crazy. So our goal is to continue to release these podcasts on a weekly basis. We might miss one or two here or there. Hopefully we don't. Please forgive us if we do. But uh, go... Uh, Send a congratulations to Allison for going through all of that. She's <laughs> She's got all the hard work ahead of her. <laughs> right, Allison? <laughs> yes, that's what they tell me. Yes. But congratulate Ryan, too. It's a big deal for him, too. Yes. So you can uh, go, go on Twitter. That'll be a good reason for Allison to get on Twitter. <laughs> so we'll have more information. We're recording a couple of these uh, ahead of time so that we can uh, kind of relax once the baby comes and... Uh, We'll uh, we'll talk to you afterwards and let you know how everything went.